Well, as we uh, start our sermon today, we want to ask you a very simple question, uh, but it could be loaded at the same time. So are you guys excited about this? I am. All right, what do you think is the most urging problem, urgent problem for our country today? It's loaded, isn't it, right? Well, this is a good question, I think. That's too many, too many to talk about. All right, this is a good question. I think this is a very good question to ask. It makes us really think about what is going on with us and with the people around us. It's a question that a lot of polls like to ask. And so I want to give you some of the responses that these polls came with. Uh, in 2015, there was a Zogby poll, uh, and they asked that question, what is the most urgent problem for our country? And the number one answer was greed. Greed. You think about that, right? That's a good answer. I mean, I think a lot of the problems that we see are a result of greed on, on both sides, right? And uh, 2014, Vanity Fair asked the question, do you agree with this statement, greed is good? And 72% of the respondents said no, they don't agree with that. Right, greed is not good. Economist Magazine uh, asked, which of the deadliest sins uh, is the worst? And their answer was? Greed. greed. Good job, you guys are on top of it now, right? Greed was the answer. And then this is the kicker, right? BBC did a poll and they said, uh, of the deadliest sins, there's seven of them, all right, which is the least prog- problematic for you? What was the answer? Greed. Now, do we understand what that poll just said, right? We've got to make sure we, we wrap our minds around what all these polls are saying. Everybody agrees that greed is bad and that there's greed in the world and that's causing all the problems. But everybody also says, I don't have a problem with greed. All right, you guys all have problems with greed, but not me. All right, so, so do you understand what that means? I mean, everyone else has this problem except for me. And I don't need to work on it. And I think that is the problem with greed is oftentimes we don't even see it in ourselves. All right, this desire for more and more in life, it leads to greed. I mean, greed is a result of not being content with who, what we have. And it goes beyond money. I mean, you can be greedy for things beyond money. All right? You can be greedy for donuts. Right? On Sunday morning, we have a select amount. And if you come in and you want five, six, seven donuts, and you take five or six, seven donuts, it's kind of, it's kind of being greedy. Okay? All right? You can be greedy for things beyond money. And I think that's the problem is oftentimes we think of greed and we think of money and we think, I don't have a lot of money, so therefore I cannot be greedy. And that's not the case. Greed is more than that. Greed is when you are all about yourself and you want stuff for you and you don't even consider what it does to other people. And so this question of greed in our lives, I think we have it more than what we're willing to admit. And so I want to kind of talk about this and I think I want to talk about the solution today. And the solution, I'm going to give it to you right at the beginning, is giving. I, I think the solution to greed in our lives is giving of ourselves and of the things that we have. All right, so we're going to talk about this idea of giving. I think giving comes from a well-being of ourselves, knowing that what we have, uh, is, it's okay to give it up, all right, and, and having that sense. And so today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there with us. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about this passage that Paul talks about uh, in regards to giving. 
2 uh, Corinthians is the second letter to the Corinthians. Imagine that. All right. uh, the first letter that Paul writes, he writes to this church in Corinth uh, that is having lots of issues. And, and Corinth was an interesting town. All right. Corinth uh, was located on what's called uh, an isthmus. All right. Say that ten times fast. All right. It's basically an isthmus is, is this narrow piece of land in between two large bodies of water. All right, and so uh, the Corinthian Isthmus uh, is about four miles wide. And because of the strategic place of this Isthmus, a lot of times it was just easier to travel across land at Corinth from one body of water to the other. And so as they were recognizing this, a lot of ancient people decided that we need to build a canal here. And so they tried and they failed miserably. All right, a canal was finally built in like the 1900s or something like that or late 1800s. All right? And so what they did in the meantime is they, they created this thing called a doikos. All right? and, and this is very in, ingenious of them at the time. It was basically a train track all right? that they would take the boats out of the water from one end of the isthmus, roll it across the train tracks, and put it into water on the other end. All right? it, was the, there was, it was the only one that was seriously used in all of the ancient world. It, it tells you how smart they were. Right, and because of this, uh, because of this uh, doikos, because of how many boats were traveling from one body of water to the other and trying to save time, Corinth became a port town. And uh, in the ancient world, port towns had lots of issues. All right? There was lots of crime, lots of bad things happening. And, and the church in Corinth dealt with a lot of it. Right? It bled into their lives. All right? And so when you read 1 Corinthians, and you kind of see over and over again, Paul saying, you have this issue right now, you need to fix it. You have this issue. And, and, the, and it's very discouraging, really, to read 1 Corinthians to see how divided the Corinthian church was. Then you get to read 2 Corinthians, which is awesome. Because 2 Corinthians is a different tone altogether. Where 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, you guys need to fix all these issues. 2 Corinthians is Paul saying, good job. All right? It's an, a letter of encouragement. You guys are doing great. You guys need to keep it up. All right, and so uh, that's kind of what 2 Corinthians is about. Uh, in chapter 9, Paul starts to talk to the Corinthians about an offering they were collecting. Uh, in Jerusalem, uh, there were a lot of poor people, and the church uh, was extremely poor. And so when a famine hit, it hurt the church tremendously. And when the rest of the churches in the Roman Empire heard about what was happening, they decided to collect an offering. And the Corinthian church said, yes, we will give towards this noble cause. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians in chapter 9 here of 2 Corinthians, telling them, encouraging them to collect the offering before he gets there. All right, so that's kind, of what, that's kind of the background to what we're going to read. And so we want to read this, starting in verse 6. Uh, Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so when he's talking about giving, Paul uh, brings up this common and well-known analogy. Uh, it's an analogy from farming. And he says, uh, when farmers go out into their fields, they don't sow the seed sparingly, all right, because it produces a low harvest. And in that world, uh, the harvest uh, was actually a lot less than what we have. All right? We have these things called genetically modified uh, organisms. Uh, our seeds are gen genetically modified so that when you put it in the ground, it's going to produce a harvest that's pretty plentiful. 
All right, they didn't have that. All right, and so they could be sowing and, and not all the seeds would grow. All right, and so if they were going to a field and they wanted to make sure that they were going to have a good harvest, they had to make sure that they sowed the seed generously. And Paul uses this analogy to talk about how we should be giving. He says you should not give sparingly. She's up here. You should give generously. Sorry, I just saw him. That's my baby, guys. Yeah, you can say all. That's fine. All right. <laughs> uh, so he's using this analogy, and, that, and that's what he's saying, is, is we need to be willing to, to give in generous ways. And a lot of times I think we don't. I mean, I don't think we give as generously as we could. And I, and I have to ask the question at this point, why is it that we don't give generously? You know, a lot of times people say, I give enough. Or I give my share. All right, but that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying give generously. And so I, I, I ask that question, why is it that we don't give generously? And I think it all comes to attitude. How do, what is our attitude when we give? All right, and Paul talks about that. In verse 7, uh, this is what he says. Uh, he says, uh, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he understands there in verse 7 that, that there are emotions attached to our giving. Right? And, and we should recognize this. When we have things that are ours and we give it away, there's an emotion there. Why is it that when a bride comes down the aisle with her father and they ask, hey, who gives this woman marriage? That the father is the one that often is crying. Because giving something that's ours is emotional. Right? When we give our money, uh, when we give of ourselves and our time and our talents, it's emotional. Right? There's emotion there. And we need to recognize the emotion. So Paul talks about three emotions. He talks about uh, reluctance, he talks about compulsion, and he talks about cheerfulness. And two of those emotions he says we shouldn't have as we're giving, and one emotion that we should have as we're giving. So let's talk about them. All right, when we talk about reluctance, all right, this is the word in the Greek that uh, is talked about grief and displeasure. All right, it has those emotions tied into it. All right, there's grief and this displeasure. It, it's a word that's used in opposition of joy, or in this case, cheerfulness, right? Don't be reluctant, be cheerful, all right? It's a word that if you look in the uh, Greek Old Testament, you can find it in Genesis 3, 16, and 17. Genesis 3, 16, and 17, that's the curses, all right? That's when God says, uh, women, you're going to have pain in childbearing. That's the word. The pain is the reluctance that you have when you give. I, it, when he says that you will toil to grow food for men, it's the same word. All right, and so this, this giving, when we give in reluctance, we experience sorrow inside of us. And let me just say this, if you have sorrow as you are giving your money, don't give. I give you permission not to give. How I many you say, woo all right, if you are having this reluctance, I don't want you to give in that manner. All right? I do want you to take a step back and see why you have so much grief, because I think the reason why you have grief in giving is because of greed in your life, 
and I think you need to deal with that greed. And through dealing with the greed, you can then get, deal with this reluctancy to give. Uh, the other word he used is compulsion. All right? I don't want you to give under compulsion. I don't want you to give because you're wanting to make me happy and shut up about the sermon, right? I don't want that to happen. I want you to give because you want to give. I want you to give cheerfully. And Paul talks about this cheerfulness. Why should we give cheerfully? When you put your money in a plate, you should be smiling. Yes! Why? Why are we to give cheerfully? I'll tell you why I think. I think we should give cheerfully because we know that we've been blessed in extraordinary ways. See, oftentimes I think we forget why we are giving and what our giving goes towards. So let me just for a moment let you know what it goes towards. When you give to Kentucky Road, yes, it goes to my salary, and yes, it goes to turning on the lights, but there's more to it than that. It goes towards missionaries like the Sanchezes. And the Sanchezes are amazing people. All right, here's, here's what the Sanchezes do, do with the money that we give and other churches give. Uh, the Sanchezes, uh, they help out the people in their community. Uh, there's one family there that they've been uh, ministering to for the last couple years, uh, and they are Native Americans, okay? They're Indians. And in Mexican culture, Indians are highly looked down upon, even more so than ours, all right? They are usually have large families and usually are extremely poor, and nobody wants to hire them because they think they have bad work ethic. All right, so this, this, this Indian family, they, uh, they have nothing. And so when the dad died a couple years ago, they had no money for a funeral. Do you know how they paid for the funeral? Oh, yeah, Josh and Susan Sanchez. This family has a guy, one of their sons is named Juan Carlos, and, and Juan Carlos, when he was about two or three, he found a bottle of pipe cleaner, Drano, and he drank the Drano, and it burned his esophagus, and the only way that he was going to survive long-term was if he had surgery, and you know what? Surgery costs money, and what does this family not have? Money. So what does Josh and Susan Sanchez do? They pay for that surgery. Josh and Susan Sanchez, they don't have a lot to begin with, but what they get, they give away. Because that, they understand that, that the money they have, it's not really theirs, it's for the kingdom's cause. Josh and Susan wanted to build a house in Manzanillo, and so they bought this property of land, and uh, as they were uh, living there, uh, building the church, they realized, hey, the church has no place to meet. And because they had no place to meet, they decided to work on buying a piece of property for the church building, but there was no money because they're all extremely poor there. And so Josh and Susan took that property that they bought that they were going to build their house on and gave it to the church to build a church building on. Over and over and over again, they give. And so when you give to us, to the church here, it goes to people like Josh and Susan who are ministering, who are trying to share the gospel with those who do not know. And they are exemplifying in their lives what it means to cheerfully give. A lot of times, I think, we forget about how blessed we are. 
there's a website I want you to go to, not necessarily right now, but, but here in a little bit. I'm going to pop it up on the screen. Uh, it's called globalrichlist.com. And what you can do on this website is you can tell, you, you can tell where you're at. United States of America, we've done that. Uh, you tell how much you've made. Uh, we're just going to go minimum wage, 40 hours a week at $7.70 in the Missouri. And that will get you about $14,800. And once you hit that, you hit go. You scroll down and it'll populate all kinds of information. If you make minimum wage in Missouri, you're in the top 8% of wealth in the world. That's just minimum wage. All right? A lot of us make more than that. Top 8% of the world. If you make $15 an hour, you're in the top 1%. We can talk about that all day, right? All right, scroll up. All right, no, no, sorry, other way. It's backwards on a Mac. So 771, uh, in, in Indonesia, for the same amount of work, they make 39 cents an hour. If you scroll up, you'll see, uh, uh, scroll down some more, uh, you'll see that someone in Ghana will take 92 years to get what you make in one year at minimum wage. All right, well, you make at minimum wage, it takes them 92 years to make. All right, your can of soda, all right, in Ghana, or your can of soda costs you about five minutes worth, four, hour, four minutes and 40 seconds. That same can of soda in Ghana is seven hours and 12 minutes that they have to work. They have to work a whole day to drink a can of soda. If you, if you scroll down with some more, I think last thing is uh, your monthly salary is the same salary as 55 doctor, doctors in Kazakhstan. You are blessed in extraordinary ways. And I think that when we choose not to give, it says a lot about who we are. Yes, things cost a little bit more here. But you are blessed. And I think that we need to recognize this. And we need to be willing to give from the blessing that God has given us. Now, Paul talks about in that verse 7, give what you've, what you've said in your heart to give. And I want us to talk about that for a little bit, but I want us to talk about it in the terms of the Bible. All right? There are two terms often used in the Bible for giving. All right? They are tithe and they are offerings. And they're two different terms. They mean two different things. All right, so to understand this, I want us to go to Malachi chapter 3 for just a moment. It's going to pop up on your screen, uh, and it's going to read like this. Malachi is writing uh, to the Israelites near the end of uh, before Jesus, so 400 years before Jesus. And uh, he's going to write about three different problems that the Israelites are having. And one of them is giving. And this is what he says. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? And God's talking. He says, will you rob me? And so he says, you ask, how are we robbing you? And God replies, in tithes and offerings. Those two words. He says, you are under a curse, you whole, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So the Israelites, they, they weren't giving this tithe that was expected of them. 
So I want us to understand this concept of tithe. All right, tithing is really simple. All right, it's 10%. I know you didn't come here to get a math lesson, all right, but we can figure out 10% really easily. You just move the decimal point, decimal point one position. So if you made $500 this week, you move the decimal point one position and your tithe is $50. Good job. All right, if you made $50 this week, you move the decimal point and your tithe is yeah, $5. Gavin's getting it now, right? All right. And so what God is saying is you have a tithe that you were expected to give, Israelites, and you're not bringing it fully. All right. The difference between a tithe and an offering, the tithe is what you are to expected to bring to God's house, and the offering is what you give beyond that. So, if you come and you give $20 and your tithe is $50, that is not an offering to God. That's a portion of the tithe that is expected of you. If you come and your tithe is $20 and you give $5, that is not an offering to God. That is a portion of your tithe. If your tithe is $50 and you give $55, good job, you've given an offering. $50 for tithe, $5 in offering. The offering is what you give above and beyond. And when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we see that Paul is talking about an offering for Jerusalem. He says, whatever is in your heart to give to the Jerusalem church, give that as an offering to God. Right? That doesn't mean they get to neglect what they need to give to their church to take care of their poor and their sick and their widowed. Right? They were still expected to do that, and then whatever they wanted to give beyond that, that is what they are supposed to give. If that was $0, good job. If it was $100, good job. Just give what was in your hearts in this offering above and beyond your tithe. I think we have to understand that. See, a lot of times we like to say, well, the tithe isn't really in the New Testament. That's sort of kind of true, except for this time in Jesus' life. Uh, in Matthew 23, uh, Jesus is listing off a bunch of different woes, all right? And, and uh, he will be talking about the religious leaders and saying, you guys don't understand. And so in Matthew 23, 23, he starts off by saying this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, uh, you are hypocrites. That's not a very nice word to say, right? You're hypocrites. All right? And the hypocrite is because you give a tenth of your spies. What's a tenth again? What's a tenth again? A tithe. He says you tithe your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So let's understand what's going on. He's saying you religious leaders, you're missing the points. You sit there and you tithe your mints. Now, how many of you have ever seen a mint leaf? All right. How big is a mint leaf? Okay. Here's what they were doing. Okay. Rather than just saying, okay, here's a handful for God and here's my handfuls, they literally were taking off each leaf. All right. And they were saying, all right, one leaf for God, nine leaves for me. One leaf for God. How time consuming is that? All right. And that's what they were doing. All right, and they said, here's my tithe, I'm doing awesome. But while they were doing this, while they were taking their time to count out all these minute things to, that they were wanting to give to God, they were forgetting about more important things, like justice, 
mercy, faithfulness. They became so unfocused on, on this little aspect, they forgot the bigger picture. They were missing the point. And in response to that, Jesus says this in the second part of this verse. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Do we understand what Jesus said there? He said, you should have practiced these big pictures and at the same time also did this little picture thing. You should have done both of them. And I don't want you to go home and start counting your dill leaves or, or whatever else. You know, I think the bigger picture is the, the mercy and justice and, and faithfulness. But what we do see in this is Jesus talk about a tenth, about a tithe. And he says you should have done both. And I think we are expected to give a tenth, a tithe to the church. And then whatever we've placed on our hearts to give above and beyond that, that is our offering to God. So when a special project comes up, like an air conditioner or some special offering for a missionary that's come in, what are we to do in those moments? I think we're to give our tenth and then our offering above it. Not giving our tithe as part of the offering, because that's not an offering, is it? That's our tithe. I think we have to understand that difference. Giving both. Giving generously our tithe and then generously giving to those who are in need. So why should we do that? I think Paul answers that in, in the rest of this passage. We're looking back. So coming back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to read verses 8 through 11. He says this, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered the gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And I think Paul talks about, for a moment, the character of who God is. And I think he focuses on something that I think is important. Okay, As Christians, I think we are meant to imitate God. All right, we are, it's meant to imitate his mercy and his justice and his faithfulness. And I think we are meant to imitate that our God is a giving God. Let me just show you some verses regarding this. They're going to flash on the screen pretty quickly here. So Genesis 1, 29, God talking, he says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed, and they will be food for you. God gives food and creation to the humans. In Deuteronomy 8.10, we read that when they, you have entered the land and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. 
that God has given the Israelites the promised land. Jeremiah 24, 7, he says, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I'll be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. Talking about the Israelites who have turned away from them. And he says, I'm going to give them a heart to know me. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. he says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Luke eleven thirteen he says, uh, If you then, know who, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven do what? Give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And then John three sixteen For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Our God is a giving God. The things that we have, we have because He gave them to us. And if our God is such a giving God and we are to imitate His character in this world, I think naturally this means we should be givers. Not just what's expected of us, but above and beyond in generous ways. And the end result we see uh, in the last verses of this chapter, uh, verses 12 through 15, we read that the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompany your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and in their prayers for for you, their heart will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. I think when we give cheerfully, when we give generously, the end result is praise to God. I mean, it is a service to give. All right, it's an opportunity to worship God and to have others worship God because of what we've done. Let me take you back to the Sanchez's for just a moment. A couple of uh, months ago, they found out that their property wasn't going to have a driveway. Right? They had some different things that happened, and they weren't going to have access to this property that they've just built this big, beautiful church on. All right? And so uh, when they realized that, they realized that the only way that they're going to be able to have a driveway is if they bought a piece of property uh, that's just north of their building. And so they talked to the church and said, we need a down payment. All right, something simple. And I think two churches came back and said, here's the money that you need. You don't have to pay us back. And their response, if you read their newsletter, you can see it. Their response was, praise God. When you give, it brings praise to God from the lips of other people. So that's why I think we're to give cheerfully. I think that's why we are to give in the right attitude and to be imitating God because it brings praise back to Him. And as Christians, our goal in life is to recognize God for the glorious person that He is and for the things that He's given us. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gifts of salvation that needs to be spread to all people. And we do that in one way. By giving back. We need to be givers. 
not just of our money, but of our time and of our talents and of our abilities. And we need to be giving in the right attitude. We need to be imitating God in all aspects of who He is, especially in this aspect. And so if you're not giving, why not? What is holding you back? Is it greed and your desire for more and more in your life? Are you not able to give because you have to have so many other things? And that you, all these other things that you have, your cable bills, your, your, your Xbox, your PlayStation, whatever it is that you have, your Netflix, your Hulu, all right, are all those things keeping you from giving to God? Because if they are, maybe you need to make change in your life. Maybe you need to start living with less so that you can praise God with the blessings He's given you. You have been blessed, and you should bless people in return. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we're grateful for the greatest gift of all, your Son who came and died on the cross so that we might have salvation. And Father, we know that we want to be people that tell the entire world. And while, yes, we may not personally be called to go to China or to Africa or to Mexico, Lord, we know people who are. And we want to give to the church so that your name will be praised through these missionaries. We want to give to the church so that our community can be blessed by what the church is doing in it. Lord, help us to examine ourselves. Help us to look for the areas of greed in our life. Help us to find the places where we just desire more and more and we have discontentment with the things that you have given us. And I pray, God, that we repent of those attitudes. I pray that we be focused on your salvation, that we be focused on, on the reason why we give, and that's to bring you praise. Help us, Father, to, to honor you in all aspects of our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen.